0: Do you know what really sucks is sitting down to edit your project and realizing that you have gaps in your coverage or shots missing, you need to have a really good, specific and detailed shot list. Head over to filmmakersecrets.com slash shot list, S-H-O-T-L-I-S-T to get a killer shot list template along with some training where I show you step-by-step exactly how to use it.
1: I think one day we were trying to shoot 14 pages, and I remember just being so exhausted at the end of the day, and I remember laying down and just thinking, wow, I hope we got it all.
0: Filmmakers have the power to evoke emotion, inspire thought, and drive universal change in this world. So how does a filmmaker thrive in an environment that is almost intentionally designed to bring you down? That is the question, and this podcast reveals the answer. What's happening, filmmakers? It's George VK. Welcome to Filmmaker Secrets Podcast, episode number six. And I am so excited to welcome my guest, Nate Baki. He's an actor. He recently directed the feature-length film Man Camp. So, Nate, go ahead and say what's up to our filmmakers and reveal the one filmmaker secret you've been keeping from us.
1: What's up, filmmakers? I'm Nate. The one secret that I have been hiding cuz I'm greedy it is not really a secret at all. It's the most important thing for me for a uh, as a filmmaker is the performance. So I did kind of think about this a little bit. And I think my secret is to introduce don't be afraid of a little theater in your life. And by that I mean um working with actors you know, outside of film, um and really getting those reps in, and how to talk to actors, how to work with actors, and if you have a chance to do some of those acting exercises yourself, so you kind of have a feeling of what it feels like. Because um, when you put yourself in an actor's shoes, you start to very quickly understand all the insecurities and. Um, you know, how they want to look. And um, I think that's really important to make them feel comfortable so you can get the best performance as possible. So, yeah, how was that?
0: That's great. I love it. And I'm glad that you launched into that because you have a unique perspective with uh, having acted a lot in theater yeah. as well, um, which mm-hmm. I respect a lot because theater, theater was my first love uh, before yeah. I started, you know, you know, dabbling with filmmaking. But you also have this uh, separate perspective of a director. So, you know, the vulnerabilities of each and you can sort of complement each of those roles um, accordingly. So let's take it way back, way, way back. I want you to uh, think of your life as a movie. And uh, what was that one aha moment uh, in your past, whether it was if you were a teenager, uh, a kid, a baby? Uh, that gave you this calling to create films, to serve an audience. What was that one moment?
1: Yeah, it happened as as a baby. (laughs) Uh, Well, I was, well, the actual film part was probably after high school, but I was homeschooled as a child through the sixth grade. But we had, um, homeschool groups and we did a lot of plays. So I acted in a lot of plays and we were doing like Shakespeare and stuff in people's backyards. And so from an early age, I was kind of already, uh, started on that path of kind of like being comfortable in front of an audience. And I really liked telling stories and I was really into history and history for me was just, um, stories. Um, but I think when it really happened was well, I moved to Vail after high school and I was working for the Vale ski school and I was reading a lot of plays and watching a lot of interesting movies that, um, I started to really branch out and just started watching these really cool independent Indies. And at that time in the nineties, Indie film was like crazy good. Um, and I had my first digital camcorder that I bought, uh, and I was just making silly little videos with my friends, you know, snowboarding and skiing, and doing little skits, and and they were really just for our own entertainment. And then a friend of mine that I worked with, she had won a radio contest for tickets to go to the Bale Film Festival, and I had never been to a film festival. Never even had thought about going to the film festival. And so we went and it was really exciting. There was a lot of energy and there was, um, there was like movie stars there and we got invited to go to these parties. So we were just kind of like rubbing elbows with these people and bail, just having a good time. And it started to really dawn on me. Like that was, that was pretty cool. Um, I wouldn't mind doing that. And shortly thereafter, I went back to my uh my house and I started looking up film schools and theater schools and I got lucky that at the time, not anymore but uh c u Denver had a theater and a film program, and so I did both i went and uh haven't really turned back
0: since that's exactly kind of my story for the ending part with because uh, um, we went to the same university and I had no clue yep. where, what I was doing. I knew I knew I liked theater. I knew I enjoyed making movies and my theater teacher at the time, Chrissy Martin suggested to go to UCD because that's where she went. And she said they have a really strong theater and film program kind of combined. And it was like, perfect. Um, that's awesome. Uh, I'd love to hear yeah. more stories on that, but I want to, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on um, you know, you said film festival, But then as regular consumers of media, we go to the movie theater. What really Mm -hmm. differentiates those two for you? Like what makes a film a film?
1: It's crazy. If film didn't exist and we were trying to invent a film, we would be going, oh, yeah, we're going to take all the best aspects of art and we're going to mush it all together. Like we're going to take theater and photography and audio recording and music and like and people will probably look at you like you're crazy. It's one of the hardest things it's one of the hardest arts ever. And so for me, that's what it is. It's like all these arts that somehow you craft and you put it together for this package. Um, as far as like independent films go, I think you just I love obviously, I love blockbusters um, um, but in independent film, specifically, you just get more unique voices that you would never get introduced in, I think, regular movie, you know, big box movie um theaters. But you know what? That changes because then an independent makes it big on some circuit. And then people start to like go, oh, people like that. And then they start, you know. Marketing it to a bigger audience. So I think independent films can influence, um, bigger films. I think the big guy right now is what, uh, I'm gonna say his name wrong. The New Zealander, Taiki Watiti. Not familiar. Um, he, he did, um, he did a bunch of independent films, but he did, um, the latest Thor movie. Oh, okay. They were, they were like, he did all these cool independent films and they were like, We gotta get this guy to like.
0: Let's bring him on. Yeah, yeah.
1: Let's let's, you know make him part of the Marvel fam. So that happens. That happens a lot. John Favreau is another one of those guys. His independent films, I just loved growing up, and then now he's like a household name.
0: Every filmmaker has a different path that they and you know end up going on, but they all seem to kind of coalesce in the similar um, uh, sort of vein of you know, grinding, working hard, continuing to practice, do the craft. I'm curious how you, let's transition to the now. We've talked about the past. Um, How did you end up working on uh, Man Camp?
1: Uh, Man Camp was, well, I don't know if the audience cares, but you and I and Daniel Cummings, who you had on your third episode, all went to the same university. And I met Daniel doing a play and um, we became good friends and we kept working on projects during school. And then he moved to LA and I was still kicking around Denver. I I tried to like start a little theater company and I was just doing some other stuff. And he called me up one day and was like, Hey, I um, am writing this script. I mean, this was a long time ago. They've been writing that script for like eight years or something. So I saw like the first draft. I think it went through like 20 drafts or something. <laughs> and, um, it just goes to the power of, um, just working with people. Cause they just, if you're good, they just remember you. And if something pops up, they go, Hey, I think you'd be perfect for this. So that's how I got involved with the man canvas. Daniel thought I'd be really good for it. And, uh, so we made it together.
0: And you were. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I watched it quite a few times, went to the premiere here in Denver at the Denver Film Festival. Uh, It it was was
1: great to see you there.
0: Really inspiring to see work like that coming out of Colorado. So thank you, first of all. And second of all, you came in and you adopted the project as a director. What was that like for you taking on somebody else's uh, script, somebody else's work and being responsible for, for this baby?
1: yeah it was it was pretty interesting and the way i attacked it is because i think a lot of us when we go to film schools we really are just stuff that we're writing um i think for the most part and where the theater comes in and why i brought it up at the beginning is theater um more than film you're constantly working on other people's stuff so i I attacked it like I was making a play. So um, I was trying to understand the writer's voice. In this case, it was uh, Dan, Scott, and Josh. And, um, and really from there, I was trying to craft it within the constructs of a budget. So I, I didn't want to change very much, and I didn't, but there were times where I was just like, we have to change, and that—that's just a matter of having confidence and in, in your past work, and kind of knowing what works and what doesn't work. What works on paper and what works on film um, sometimes can be different. And I feel like I'm babbling. <laughs> no, it's all—it's it's it's all, all—it's all in the process. Well,
0: I want to—I want to hear your pre-production uh, secrets if you can reveal any. How did you collaborate with the guys and the gals of the crew? Uh, just take me through the whole process, um, kind of an overview format.
1: We made like a pitch. So we did, instead of a trailer, we filmed just the scene of the film. And that was the first aspect of working with the actors. And we had a cinematographer from L.A. because we filmed it in L.A. Or not L.A., just in the mountains outside of L.A. And it was the first time we kind of were working together. So from there I was gauging like, okay, this is the kind of relationship we're going to have, which was an awesome relationship.
0: What did you use that scene for? So you, you you pre-shot a scene from a movie that wasn't going to end up in the final project, but what what did you use that for?
1: We used that to crowdfund and it was a proof of concept, which actually really helped us because I think Pete Gardner and, uh, I think they, I think he saw that and was like, oh, okay. I think they have a, a pretty good idea of how they want to go with this. Um, so that, that helped. And I think it helped raise a little bit of money. It was really to instill confidence, I think. Like, cause when you haven't done like a big, I mean, this wasn't even that big, but when you're asking people to invest the time and money into something and they don't, haven't seen you do something on that scale, I think they just want an idea of what you're going to do. So that was the first process. And then rewrites kept happening, and I was in the loop on that. And I would I'd go, what I go, what if you tried this? What if you tried this? And then from there, it went to scheduling, which changed a lot. Um, I think we kept changing how many days we were going to shoot, depending on um, our situation with our actors and budget concerns. As far as like what I really worked on is I, um, Dan had our, um, cinematographer fly out and meet me at the cabin that we were going to shoot at because most of it took place at this cabin. And we spent like three, three and a half days literally going through every scene. Where are we going to shoot this? How where are we going to shoot this? And we were like, Getting as detailed as like, oh, we could, let's put the lights over here. I mean, we were really breaking it down. Okay, we'll have motivated lighting from over here. And I was, I blocked like 80% of it because we didn't have much time to work on that. So I was like, kind of like acting out the different parts in there and be like, okay, this be, they should cross here. And, um, and I, I just put together the shot list together with him and then as days kept whittling off our production I, I think i i think i altered that shot list three times and then i altered it again when we were actually shooting
0: did that involve time. cutting cutting shots down yeah it was enough.
1: <laughs> it was literally like we just ran out of time and i was just like okay we'll do this shot and this shot and that's how it will be edited like so some of those themes, I mean, you really couldn't edit it any other way. It was like, a all right, Ed, we'll, we'll just do this and this. And I hope that works, which thankfully it did. But it, as far as um, pre-production, actually, one of the programs that I picked up that you introduced me to was Shotlister. And we didn't actually use it for, um, like, tracking, making our pages. I, I had an assistant director doing that on different things. But what it allowed me to do was really... I could pull it up on my iPad and I could really, um I had all these notes and all these, you know, I had them all listed there and I could look at it and go, well, that might not be as important. And so I'd move it down. And I would start ranking my shots. And that really helped me. Cause it was like, I was like, okay, well, these five, I, I absolutely need. And then I pushed the rest down. I was like, well, if I can get to those, I will. And it also helped me um organize my shots because I could, lump them with certain lighting that we already had so it was really helping me keep track of shooting in one direction um and then you know flipping the one thing i did not factor i don't know why was uh changing lenses. i from some reason
0: you expect the cameraman to switch out the lens in three seconds
1: right (laughs) It didn't even dawn on me that we were shooting with all primes. And it did not even dawn on me how much time. I mean, it doesn't take a terrible amount of time, but it's enough time you're like. It all adds up. Yeah, maybe I. So that was the one thing I was like, well, maybe I should have just had a shoot on like some ingenue ingenue, uh, zoom lenses. But, you know, the primes look so good. But for other filmmakers out there to be aware that it takes time. It
0: takes time, filmmaking. And I
1: should, I should have known that, but I didn't.
0: You know, that brings me back to a story of my uh, theater or uh, my senior thesis project called Ideal World uh, back in film school. Yeah. And I didn't account for the time it would take for us to haul all the film gear up the mountain through the snow. And so we yeah. ended up going way over schedule and had to spend the night in an abandoned cabin in the middle of the woods. Uh, just so we didn't have to haul it all down, just to have to haul it back up again the next day because we had two back to back shoots. So <laughs> I think filmmakers make mistakes often, but it's important to have all your pieces during pre production set in place so that you know once you get on set, whatever happens, you know, all the inevitable problems that occur uh, on the actual film shoot, you're ready with a uh, plan B, C, D, E, F. So that you know that, that you are protected when it comes to actually yeah. getting your shots done. And I, I like your little tip of um, organizing the shot list by priority, meaning like yeah. it's okay if we don't get these shots, but these ones at the top are absolutely necessary. It's a fine line when you're trying to get coverage enough for you to have in post-production, but also being efficient on set. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear, besides scheduling, what were some of the biggest roadblocks that you encountered and how did you overcome them? Um, Was it that there easy? Were,
1: there were so many. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many. I don't know why. I'm, um, I think because I filmed that, what, like three years ago. So I think stepping that far back, you start romanticizing it. And you start just letting all those problems go because you're like, well, the project's done. I don't have to worry about it anymore. So, And then you start glamorizing. So that was a great shoot, which it was a great shoot, but it was quick, know, fast. It was 11 days, <clears throat> um, 11 shooting days. I think it was like 14 or 15 actual days of, of working on it. Um,
0: let, me, let me turn the question. What was your favorite yeah. memory from that project?
1: my favorite memory was just working with all those actors i mean i love actors i think they're i like acting i like working with actors as an actor i like working with actors as a director there's just a lot of joy in that i mean because you're really kind of like you get a lot of energy and you're crafting something together and you feel that and the other crew members are feeling that and they're getting excited you know and they're now They're working really hard because they see the potential, you know. And I think that's the funnest part about making films is you just have this like awesome energy, and it's also really scary because, like in theater, you kind of get an instant reaction from the audience. You kind of know if it's working or not. And with a film, it's kind of a mystery. Like you've done all this produ- pre-production, you're working hard on filming it, but you really don't know exactly how it's going to turn out until you get into the editing. So there's like a nervous energy. I remember getting done because I think Dan had mentioned we did. We shot an insane amount of pages. I think one day we were trying to shoot 14 pages. And I remember just being so exhausted at the end of the day. And I remember laying down and just thinking, wow, I hope we got it all. And you would and that was a challenge, actually, because you can't take that anxiety over to the next day. You just have to be like, "Well, I just got to have faith that we got it." Because um, if you take that anxiety over to the next day, you just you just don't function. You just keep thinking about stuff that you can't change anyway. So that's to let it go.
0: Talk to me about morale onset as the person that's kind of more or less driving the ship. Uh, everybody's looking to you to keep energy and the momentum of the whole film shoot up. What's your secret?
1: You know what? I had never had an assistant director before. And that that's the secret. You have to have a really good assistant director because he kept things just humming along. And he like, everyone was in great morale. So there's a lot of it that I didn't even like really control really. He was kind of doing it all. And he would, he was great because he would just bring up issues to me if he thought I actually needed to know about it, which weren't that many. And so his name's Sam Bricker. He's, uh, he's a, he's a Denver, Colorado-ish guy. Um, and he, it was working with him was, uh, was great, but it's also a fun comedy and like the jokes were landing on set. So people, you know, it's, I'm the worst. I, When I'm acting, I don't break. When I'm the director, I break constantly. I am constantly laughing. I'm constantly walking out of the room. But to be working on something that's fun and funny, it just keeps people spirits high because they're like, this is great. And then we were doing silly little stunt stuff. And we would go back and people would look at the dailies and that would get people really excited because it was like, wow, I can't
0: believe we pulled that off. That's amazing. That's amazing. I think. I think that's all the questions that I really had burning in my head. Um, we got quite a bit of a gamut of content. I appreciate you sharing your insights and your secrets. There have been quite a few golden nuggets. So I thank you, Nate. Uh, last question for you. Well, actually what's next for you before we end on things on a, on a higher note.
1: Um, I don't really have anything specific. I've been working on a, uh, I think the hardest, genre of film to make as an independent filmmaker is um science fiction so i've been writing a script about a filmmaker trying to make a science fiction film but there's another there's another filmmaker that's filming behind the scenes and that's all part of the story
0: that's so meta i love it
1: yeah it's super meta yeah so it's kind of a yeah it's cutting between the two styles so I've been writing that. Think it works. I'm not sure, but that's what I'm writing.
0: Well, keep me updated. I'd love to hear how that goes. Last question for you, Nate. Yeah. What is your desert island movie? So if you could only watch one movie for the rest of your life, what is it?
1: I love that I'm on a desert island with plenty of power, and I got a TV. <laughs> And I got a Blu-ray player.
0: Suspend your disbelief. <laughs> so this is awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I would probably say The Royal Tenenbaums by Wes Anderson. That movie really changed my perspective on what, how films could be made. And I know Wes Anderson's like a big you know, independent guy now. But back then, no one really knew who he was. But he, he just had so much style. And I just enjoy watching that film. There's lots of different characters. And,
0: Amazing. Well, there you have it. Filmmakers, Nate Baki. check out mancampmovie.com. Nate, where can uh, our filmmakers go to find out more about you?
1: Uh, They can visit. I did start a production company. We haven't really done much lately. It's called Nogginposs Pictures. Nogginposspictures.com. You can check out a little bit about me on there. I don't, I have a website, but I took it down. So I need to put it back up. Um, Or they can just, if they want to contact me, just NateBocchi at gmail.com or check out mancampmovie.com. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. All right. Well, Nate, thank you so much for spending time with me today on Filmmaker Secrets Podcast. I appreciate you and I hope to get more updates and get you back on the show. I can, man. Anytime. Awesome. All right, filmmakers. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. If you like that, then you are gonna love my Cine Racing Challenge. This is a seven-day filmmaking competition where your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to write, shoot, and edit a short 60-second film in just seven days for your one chance to win with over $10,000 in prizes. So head over to CineRacing.com. That's C-I-N-E-R-A-C-I-N-G.com to get registered. Spots are filling up fast and the timer is ticking before the next Cine racing challenge launches. So be sure to head over to CineRacing.com right now to get registered. I'll see you over there.